So Daniel sent me like key texts they wanted me to lock in on for these big ideas that we wanted to explore this weekend. Um, in our first talk together, I know some of y'all weren't here, I dropped a big seminary word. It's not even big, but it's weird. Uh, virtue lists. It's a textbook term for passages like this. Paul likes to do them. It's a, a thing that Greek writers do where they say, and they usually pair it with a vice list. So they say, here's good things to do. Here's things not to do. And you get lists. And Paul likes his lists. Um, and so this is another one from the letter he writes to the church, the uh, young Christians in the city of Rome, like in the belly of the beast. This is a dangerous place to try to be a Christian. And Paul writes them a letter and gives them a virtue list, an example of what it might look like to live this Jesus lifestyle. And he says, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. I like that phrase. Ooh, which part? All of it? Just that whole thing? Zeal, zeal. Uh, we could say passion. Do not, let's see. Don't be lazy about your passion. Let this stuff, let this fire catch in you. That's sort of like the other virtue list we read on the first night. Paul said, uh, do not quench the spirit in someone else's life. This is sort of that command for you. Don't quench the spirit in someone else's life and don't let it be quenched in your own. Don't lag in zeal. Don't back off on passion. Does that make sense? We tracking? Is that clear? Be ardent in spirit. How about that one? Be strong in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. An important word to people living in a city where to do any sort of interaction you had to uh, engage in worship of the emperor. The emperor who had slogans about himself like king of kings, Lord of Lords and Son of God um, becomes problematic if you're a Christian to say those things about someone other than Jesus. Persevere in prayer. That sounds like something we read before. Uh, contribute to the needs of the saints. That means give to the church. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Yes! Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be, be a community of solidarity. Join people in their life together. And uh, like that other virtue list that we read, that's a lot of stuff, Paul. <laughs> like, and he's got these all over his books. He writes a third of the New Testament. And a lot of his letters have chunks of like, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And I mean, you're like, man, Thought we were done with this whole law thing. Uh, so we looked at one before in uh, the first Thessalonians, and now one here in Roman. That's like the other one. That's a lot, Paul. How are we supposed to carry this stuff out? If you remember back to our discussion of prayer, Paul anticipates the question and answered in the next verse, pray without ceasing. He anticipates it here as well. But earlier in the passage, we've come in sort of in the middle. So take us back to Romans 12, 1. Okay, it's coming. I can feel it. Ah. Paul 
gets going with verse 1. Not 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. We've heard that phrase before, right? Goats. Instead of goats that you, you open, that you slaughter, whose life ends for this ritual act, Paul says, put yourself on that altar, but not as something to be destroyed, but something to be built up. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is spiritual worship, while the other was physical. It's physical to, to take a goat and put it on the altar and kill a goat. That's a pretty physical experience. Y'all like that, didn't you? Silence. Silence of the goats. Ta-da! These are the jokes, people. Take them or leave them. This is spiritual worship. None of that was on my notes. <laughs> Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is acceptable, good, and perfect. So in the same way that before, Paul gave us this list, and we're like, what are we supposed to do about this, Paul? He says, pray. If you want to do these things, you're going to have to pray. With this list, we're still, but Paul, what are we, how are we going to do all this? And he says, you probably can't. But, yeah, this, this, this whole Jesus thing is pretty lofty. But he says, if you offer yourself as a living sacrifice, and you let yourself be transformed, the new version of you, the new humanity that Jesus infused, the Holy Spirit indwelled human can do this. This new way of being human becomes accessible through connection with Jesus. Let's, let's take another step in. Give me uh, Philippians 1.8. Uh, in the letter to Philippians, now Paul is writing from prison uh, when he writes this letter to some friends that have sent him some money. If you, so Paul talks about being chained to a wall when he's uh, writing this letter. If you are in a Roman prison, so he's in Rome waiting for what a lot of historians think this is the end of his life. He's likely beheaded uh, in the process of his ministry from this place. Uh, he's chained to the wall in a Roman prison where they don't feed you. If you are in a Roman jail, you are not cared for. You're just kept. And if you want to eat or toilet paper, someone has to bring it to you. And so if you're in prison for uh, sedition, for being a political dissident, for they call him a terrorist, the Romans do. If you're a political prisoner and someone comes and says, hey, political prisoner friend, here's some food for you so you can keep doing your political uh, dissidents, they probably, that's a dangerous thing to do. So someone has sent Paul a gift, and he writes a letter in response. And that's what this is. So that's the context of what we're reading here. And he writes to these people, God knows, God can testify to how I long for you all with the heart of Christ Jesus. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a church before, but it's uh, yeah, maybe once or twice. It's hard to love everyone there. There's some annoying people at church. There's some people you don't uh, maybe like at church. There's some humans that go to their church. It'd be great if it weren't for all the people. Um, as a minister, I, I promise that is the case. It's 
It's just the people that are hard. Um, but Paul says, I love all of you. And he means it. Like, I can parse all the Greek for you. The words that Paul is using here really mean each and every one of you. I love you. I long for you. I want to be with you. Um, and how can he do this? The answer is, with the heart of Christ Jesus. But we have a problem. The language here, what language is this written in? Greek. Greek, good. Paul is oh, writing. Crap, I get that. Nice. Paul is writing in Greek. Is this Greek? No, yeah. no it is not. English. It is English, and English is boring. Um, <laughs> and I'm glad you can read it. But it's obscuring something here, I think. Because uh, this is a common translation to see heart of Jesus, or the love of Jesus, or the compassion of Jesus shows up there. Let's throw the Greek word out there. The Greek word looks like that. Um, isn't that more interesting looking, though? That's a better looking word, but let's, let's see the English of it. Splagnon. Everybody say splagnon. Splagnon. I did uh, a sermon about this passage, a long look at this passage when I was in Africa this past summer, and uh, all the guys I was traveling with, um, the pastors that I was teaching in Africa, uh, called me splagnon for the rest of the two weeks I was there. Not, not a great nickname, but splagnon. That's a good Greek word. I know, do you have an English word that good? Yeah, that's what I thought. I don't want Nope, splagnon wins. Splagnon is the word translated here as heart. But that is not, no one in Greek ever read that word and thought heart. Uh, that's a choice that we made when we translated it to try to make it relatable, try to make it make sense. This is actually a medical term. Do we have what it means? All right, flip that slide. Uh, everybody say bowels. bowels. <laughs> I got you to say bowels. <laughs> bowels, guts, intestines. It's a medical term. If you look at medical writings of uh, the Greeks trying to explain how human bodies work, they talk about uh, looking at people's splagnons when they open up their midsection. Their splagnons fall out. Oh, isn't this an uplifting message? Yeah. So a better translation might be, I love all of you. I love you with the bowels of Jesus. Isn't that nice? You just feel warm and kind of gross. I love you with the intestines of Christ. I long for you with the guts. If someone actually said that to me in everyday life, I'd probably shut my head like a car. I mean, it's visceral, isn't it? Yeah. Are you familiar with the phrase, like, I feel it in my gut? Yeah. This is, yeah, I felt it in my split. This, like, deep core part of me. I, I didn't think it, and I didn't, yeah, I didn't feel it. It wasn't this mushy thing. It was instinct. It was in my guts. Felt it in my gut. This love I have for you, it comes out of my gut. It's not something I decided. It's not something I emotionally feel. It's an instinct. But it's not Paul's instinct. It's not our instinct that can give us this sort of way of being human. This is these are the bowels of Christ. The bowels of Christ internalized in the believer. Isn't this nice? Splagnon. It's so fun. 
<laughs> yeah, oh, I like bowels just being up behind me. It's a good backdrop for my head. <laughs> Who's that guy? That's the bowels, dude. But this, this is sort of the side effect. This is the effect, not the side effect. This is the effect of what Paul was talking about, this transformation. When you are allowing yourself to be recreated in the image of Christ, when you internalize this gospel, uh, we use phrases like born again, when you start this new life, we can tap into the splagnon, the bowels of Jesus. We can start to utilize that as our gut instinct. Jesus can get so deep in us that our instinct, our first reaction, remember first night, uh, your left hand won't know what your right hand is doing. It's not second nature anymore. It becomes just nature. It becomes instinct. It's a gut reaction to do the Jesus thing. In uh, Jesus's manifesto in the book of Matthew, Matthew 5 through 8, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives us this long sermon about what he wants the world to look like. And he says, uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do we have that? <laughs> Bowels are back. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And we've, we hear these words and they become kind of churchy. You say them with these big flowery uh, ways. and It's pretty, it's poetry. But this is visceral too. This is, this is more guts. This is bowels. Jesus says, when God draws near to you, when you're blessed, that's sort of how that word works there, uh, beatitudis or makarios. Blessed are those, God is close to those, who the desire for the world to be righteous, meaning the right way, the desire for justice, for things to be set right, for the world to be as God wants it. Uh, Jesus uses the phrase kingdom of God to describe this. Those who want the kingdom of God, they feel it in their guts. They're, they're hungry for it. They're thirsty for justice. They're hungry for things to be set right. They crave the world to be better. They are like need to breathe kind of need for Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' way of life to be enlarged in the world, for more people to know Jesus and for more people to be materially set free. Jesus talks, I'm going off my notes. Um, Jesus, when he is explaining what his ministry is about in uh, Galilee, there's the story where they try to throw him off a cliff. Y'all read that one? No. Jesus' hometown tries to throw him off a cliff uh, when he comes home to preach. <laughs> yeah, that's why I never... Okay. It's not like his heart pain. Oh, nice. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, that's, that's, that's just... Warm and fuzzy. Uh, that is a warm and fuzzy verse. Not as warm and fuzzy as Jesus being thrown off a cliff. Why did Jesus get almost thrown off a cliff by the people that, that he, the church he grew up in tried to throw him off a cliff? If you went home and preached at your church and they're like, that was so good, we're going to kill you. Um, this is the kind of day Jesus is having. He is one, started to say that this uh, kind of revealed who he is a little bit. He tipped his cards and sort of said, I'm the one who's been promised. 
But he says, my ministry is about setting captives free, uh, is about helping the poor, is about restoring physical problems. Uh, he says, sight to the blind and uh, helping the lame walk. Jesus cares about the world. <laughs> That's a pretty novel concept. Too many times we get stuck thinking about like heaven stuff and this whole Christianity thing becomes uh, way too, I had this conversation with a couple people today, becomes too religious. And so there, it's church stuff and it's ethereal and it doesn't really matter. But Jesus is wildly concerned with the state of the world. The kingdom of God is something that he talks about here. Jesus wants justice and righteousness on the earth. And he says, if you, when you draw close, when you get on board with the gospel, when you join this church thing, Paul would say, when you allow yourself to be transformed by giving yourself as a sacrifice, when you turn yourself over to this God, there, there's a new drive, there's a new hunger, and a new thirst for the world to be set right, for justice, for righteousness. You, you crave it in your gut. You just feel it. It becomes your, your instinct. In your bowels, in your splagnon, you start to feel this stuff. Since you keep talking, I'm going to use you as an example. Okay. Come here. Okay, cool. I'm special. Let's see. We need to pick something. I need you to stare at, you see that clip? Yeah. All right, stare at it. Okay. Do not stop. Don't lock your knees or you'll pass out. But don't move. Are you, are you doing that? Yeah. Okay. Just keep staring at it. Okay. <laughs> so. What are you going to use? No, I am using you. Stare. <laughs> this is it. This is your job. No, keep your eyes open. You can't stare with your eyes closed. This is not nap time. Let's, do you have the Acts passage? Is that what's next? Okay. What are you doing with me? I'm having you stare at that dot. Stare at the dot. I thought you were making me stare at a clip. Well, whatever it is, just look at it. Point is, you're looking up. So. Am I looking at God? Not yet, you're not. So. <laughs> right, I'm like. Yeah. You heard it. Stare at that clip. Ah! Acts. Acts is the sequel to the book that is Luke. It says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus. Name your kid Theophilus. Okay. <laughs> stare at a clip! I am staring at the clip. About everything Jesus began well. to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen disciples further instructions through the Holy Spirit. So, this is... You said like my knees, right? No, yes, lock your knees. Lift with your back. Um, it's all about the twist. So, don't, don't blink. Don't blink. Okay. So Jesus has lived, Jesus has taught, Jesus has died, Jesus has been resurrected, and has spent uh, 40 days with his followers, his, uh, the disciples, his friends, his family, and this huge number of people uh, Jesus actually hangs out with Can I after. Get down? No! What did I do? Clip! Clip! I just want to know what I did. It's not what you did, it's what you're not doing. Oh. Clip! What am I doing? Stare. What is he doing? Stare. 
I need a volunteer. No, what? No. Yes, Taylor. What are you going to do? Not stare at the cliff. Not stare at the cliff! Okay. I'm looking up. I'm looking up. At the cliff. I'm looking at the cliff. Yeah. Lock your knees. Lock your knees. No. Stare at the cliff. So, Jesus has continued ministering. He's talked to more people. He's teaching. The church is expanding. And he gives them instructions. He's given them the... Um, are you staring at... The, okay, good. I'm See, she's doing her job. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know that I was looking. Jesus has given them the Great Commission. He's told them all these things they're supposed to do. And it's not a huge claim. It's just change the world. Yeah. All right, good. He's given them the instruction, change the world. And just so that they're sure, he's like, you can start here in this town, and then like, t you can do Columbus, and then like, take care of Georgia, and then the United States, but then I really do mean all of it. So Jesus gives them instructions, change the world. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, like a clip on the sky. And they stared to see him rising into heaven. Like, uh, now what? Change the world, leaves. Uh, is, he, is he coming back? They stare so long, like, this happens for, no. Yep, like it's Jesus' feet. They're staring at least long enough that Jesus has to send angels. Suddenly, two white-robed men stood among them. Men of Galilee! Why are you standing here staring at a cliff? <laughs> Why are you staring? Thank you very much. Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Why are you, like, stuck on this part? Jesus gave you something to do. And uh, as it turns out, he was serious. Yeah, I know, right? And then he left. <laughs> like, the Holy Spirit is going to show up pretty soon. The disciples, they're not going to catch it. They're going to go, like, from here, the next stop is them hiding. So it didn't, even the angels, they're still like, well, we'll just wait. And uh, that's, we'll get to Pentecost, and then boom, church happens. And the world will start to change. But we've been given something to do. Uh, we're supposed to get to work. We have work to do. Justice, righteousness, evangelism, change the world. And Jesus thinks that you can do it. Jesus is willing to leave the disciples, who are the kind of people who stare into the sky long enough the angels have to come yell at them. Believes in them, and Jesus believes that we are the kind of people who can do this, who can carry out this mission, who can change the world, who can make things. Do does y'all's church say the Lord's Prayer ever? Sometimes. sometimes. So, and we looked at the first night. There's a line in there. Um, 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's kind of what we're up to, making things on earth as it is in heaven, transforming this space to be more like the dream of God. As Paul says, as we constantly allow ourselves to be transformed more and more into the likeness of God, as we become more and more like Jesus, as we fall more and more in love with the church and with the spirit and with the word, as we read more, as we study, as we internalize, as we pray, we are transformed into the kind of people who can do this stuff, who can be agents of justice and peace and truth and love to a broken and hurting world. And Jesus thinks that you can do it. And uh, I think that's pretty good news. Get to work. Thanks, y'all. Band, you can come up. I'll, I'll pray to give y'all so you can magically appear. Yeah, they'll be really shocked when you just show up all of a sudden. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your bowels. We thank you that your, your splagnon is growing in us. That's such a weird statement. That, that we are being continually transformed into so, something more like you, something more human, that we're tapping into a new way of being alive and a new way of being human, uh, a way that you call full, a, a way that is more true and real and beautiful than any other way of being alive that we could possibly imagine or attain on our own. You have invited us into a conspiracy that is conspiring to make the world a better place, a conspiracy of reconciliation. You call it the church. That when we're connected with you, we suddenly have a new drive, a new goal, a new hunger, new thirst, a new craving for life and love and truth and justice and reconciliation and that the world would know you, that the world would love you and that this would be the kind of world that points to you continually. We ask that that transformation, this changing, this remaking of the world, that it would start in our hearts, that it would start in our minds, that it would start in our lives. We can't, we can't change anything until we let you change us. Help us to be brave enough to take that step. Help us to be strong enough, to, to be courageous enough 